Yeah, y'all thought that was the kids' walk out song. <laughs> it's my walk up song. Um, so thank you guys for worship. Thank you guys for the testimony, Kyle and Will and Colleen. Um, man, I'm always blown away whenever I, I get up here to preach and like my sermon's already been done. I know Will mentions that, but it's pretty amazing. Um, I did look at the right scripture this time. I know last time there was some confusion. And uh, I got to say, Will, Will tells me, hey, I'm, I'm going to be out this week. I want you to preach. Okay, yeah, sure. What am I preaching on? Oh, just resurrection, but not Jesus's. Just some random resurrection of, of, of some guy. So as I looked at it, man, God, God brought a lot of stuff out. So I, I'm really excited to share this. Um, God, God's been speaking. And I want to tell you guys, if you have not ever just taken a chunk of, of Scripture and studied it for a week or three or four days, do that. Take that passage. Take something and just, just pick it. I don't know. Find some commentary. Find some good stuff. Be careful Googling and YouTubing. But find some stuff. Talk to me or Will if you need some commentary. But, man, God will open things up and continue to open things up as you look at that scripture. So, let's get into it today. Hold on, I forgot something. Will's going to be proud of me. I have some maps, and Ben, ben let me borrow a laser pointer, and I forgot it. So, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but first, I want to talk about uh, last week, Will preached on uh, Jesus healing the centurion's servant girl. So, his first point was that people from all walks of life will call on and be heard by Jesus. And Luke is continuing that theme as we go into this passage. So last week we had the centurion, we had a warrior, and now we're talking about a widow. And we had a slave, and now we're talking about a son. So no matter where you are in life, no matter what your situation, God hears you, you can call on him, you can know who, God, who Jesus is. So in the previous passage... The centurion came to know Jesus because he understood authority. And in this passage, the widow comes to know Jesus because she understands grief. So again, no matter where you are in life, you can know Jesus where you are. So let's read the scripture. So if y'all would turn with me to Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, it's going to be on the screen. My version is going to be a little bit different. Um, so just bear with me. I'm going to point out a couple of differences. So let's start. Uh, verse 11, chapter 7 of Luke, verse 11. And it came about soon afterwards that he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large multitude. Now as he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and he was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all of the surrounding district. So, uh, there's two things that I want to point out differently in mind that was what, what was up there. The first is the word coffin. They didn't use coffins back there. This is just, I think, a fault in my translation. Buyer is a more accurate term. Think like big, oblong, woven basket that they would carry things out in. So they would just put the, put the body in there. 
Um, second, if any of you have, does anybody have a King James that they're looking at right now? You have one, Janet? So, with you, are you, no, you're not looking at it right now? Okay, so, I typically don't like the King James, but in this passage where it talks about the group of people with Jesus and the group of people coming out with the funeral procession, it says much people. So we have much people with Jesus and much people with the funeral, and for an introvert like me, that's too much people. <laughs> so, you see what I did there? Yeah, so. So, so we have these two groups, right, that, that are coming in, and I want to talk some history and geography real quick so we can understand these two groups and how they would have saw Jesus and how Jesus would have saw them. So again, when we're looking at Luke, we're not sure the exact order of how things happened, but here I'm pretty sure this happened after the Sermon on the Plain, which was chapter 6, and then right after the healing of the centurion's servant. So um, if we're looking at that, we know that some of the people with Jesus are from the region of Tyre and Sidon. Um, we know that because if you flip back a page or if it's on the same page in your Bible, Luke 6.17 says, uh, And he descended with that's Jesus and his disciples slow walking down the mountain and stood on a level place, and there was a great multitude of his disciples and a great throng of people from Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. I want to point out it's important that we know that they are with us or that they're with Jesus here because there was a very similar Old Testament story to what is about to happen. Does anybody know it is Bible quiz time? Does anybody know our Old Testament story? Fail. I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm just kidding. There's a lot of stuff in there that it's hard to know all these stories. So 1 Kings chapter 17, 17 through 24. We're not turning there. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to sum it up. This is Elijah raising the widow woman's son. So with Elijah, there was a famine on the land. God wouldn't allow rain for three and a half years. God sends Elijah to some river where he's fed by ravens. The river drives up. He goes to Zarephath in the region of Tyre and Sidon to a widow woman um, who is ready to die. She has a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And Elijah says, give me something to eat and a drink of water. And she says, look, this is all I got. I'm about to feed my son, and then we're going to die. And he says, go ahead, do what you got to do, but make me something too. And the flour and the oil do not run out until they are able to get more food. Shortly after that, the, her son dies, and Elijah resurrects him. So we have this story, these people from Tyre and Sidon, if they're with Jesus, they know that story. That they're very, very familiar, familiar with the history of God and what he did and the Old Testament stories. And then also, we're at Nain. Nain is very near Shunem. I know you guys should know this kind of stuff. So also, in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37, another long story, we're not going to talk about it, Elisha resurrects a woman's son in Shunem. So God sends Elijah to Shunem. He keeps going through there. He meets some woman. She's not a widow, but she doesn't have kids. And she's very nice to Elijah. So he says, well, what can I do for you? And he finds out she doesn't have a kid. And he said, okay, by, by this time next year, you're going to have a kid. And she says, don't lie to me. Like that, please don't do that to me because my husband's old. I, I don't want to be deceived. So she has a kid. The kid grows up and he dies. So she comes to Elijah and she's like, why did you do this to me? He turns around. He's able to resurrect the kid. So the people of Nain, so this group in Nain and the group with Jesus, both have 
a historical familiarity with powerful and well-known prophets resurrecting sons of women, all right, that, that are in need. So I want to talk about that. Can we put the first map up, Anna? i got to make sure I don't hit anybody in the eye with this. All right, so I know it's kind of hard to see. Look how bright that is. So this is the Sea of Galilee where Jesus, a lot of Jesus' ministry and most of what we've been reading is going on. Here's Nazareth where Jesus grew up. Here's Nain. We're going to get to that in just a second. Here's Tyre. Here's Sidon. Right in the middle, Zarephath where Elijah raised the widow's son. So we had people that came from way up here down to the Sermon on the Plain, which took place somewhere over here around Chorazin. Right, go to the next one, Anna, the next map. All right, so here's the Sea of Galilee. It's just kind of a lot closer. Here's Capernaum, right here, Chorazin. So Sermon on the Plain happened up here. Jesus comes down to Nain. Look how close Shunem is. This is about 20 miles from Capernaum to Nain, about a day's walk or so. I don't know, 20 miles is a lot for me in a day, but they probably did it. So you're looking about a day's walk. So Nain and Shunem were very, very close. So Jesus comes down, and now he's brought these two groups together. So these two groups, both of them have this historical knowledge, and Jesus is like playing to the crowd, all right? He knows who these people are. So when they say at the end of our scripture today, fear sees them, and they all glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. They're echoing these stories. They know that, this, that Jesus is a man of God. But Jesus wants to tell them that he is more than that. Jesus has done this specific miracle at Nain in the presence of these people because he wants to show them who he is. And he is not just a prophet, but he is Lord of life and he is Lord of death. That's my first point today. Jesus is Lord over it all. If you look back at the stories of Elijah and Elisha, go back and read those if you want. I, I, I would encourage it. I think we need to know our history. But in those stories, they take the, the body, they're, they're alone with it in this upper room, and they pray, and they petition God, and they stretch their bodies out over it and do some type of Old Testament CPR. I don't know what they're really doing, but they pray, and God revives the dead body. Jesus speaks, and the dead obey. Jesus did not have to pray and do something fancy. He spoke, and the son sat up and started talking. Um, Psalm, if you would turn back, we're going to go back to Psalm. Uh, Psalm 89, if you guys would. I only put verse 48 up there, but I want to read verse 47 as well. So Psalm 89, this is just... Uh, This is scripture that these people would have known um, and they would have understood that resurrection is a godly thing. So verse 47 of Psalm 89, remember what my span of life is for what vanity you have created all the sons of men. What upside downness, what hebel, you remember that word from Ecclesiastes, what, how is life so upside down, God? Why did you create life so upside down? What man can live and not see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? No man has the power over death. Nobody can stop death. God alone has that power. So Jesus is showing them that he is not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He is God. And he's using the history of the people listening to him to reveal himself to them. He is 
taking what they know, knowing these crowds, and showing them who he is, revealing himself to them. So, but we don't just have those two crowds. We don't just have too much people. We also have the widow and her son in this story. And I, I think that when I started looking at this, this is to me one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. It's short, it's sweet, there's nothing else about it, this is, but this is awesome. So we have the son, the widow and her son, his name was probably Harold, I don't know, should have been if it wasn't, um, but widows in this time and all through history were so forgotten by society. In fact, if you look, if you read the Old Testament and pick a book of the Old Testament and read it, and I guarantee you'll find something in there about where God reminds his people to care for widows. They were outcast, and the people of God needed reminding to care for this widow. So she's supposed to be cared for by her children and grandchildren, and of course she just lost any of that care. She's now going to have to rely on people that she that maybe live near her, but she's going to have to rely on the generosity of the people around her with no guarantee that she will have provision or comfort or care. She's got to hope that somebody will take care of her. So Jesus in his compassion is showing the people what that looks like. What does it look like to care for widows? He's showing them physically what God has been saying for millennium. Um, also, we know her son just died that day. Back then, they didn't like hang out with dead bodies. They didn't have a funeral home to bring them to. When they died, they were pronounced dead. They put them on the bire, and they brought them out of town. Because if you had a dead body, it was unclean, you had to get it out. So this widow is fresh in her grief. Her son had just died when this is all happening. Still within a few hours, probably, of his death. And here comes Jesus, bebopping along from Capernaum all the way down. And if you have one of the handouts, bebopping is a blank spelling quiz. Got it? Okay. All right. <laughs> so may, maybe everybody is expecting Jesus to like give her words of comfort or talk about the vanity and the brevity of life and it's going to be okay and you people need to care for her. Now, Jesus is going to stop in and be that care for her. Something that we know, if we spend time with Jesus, we can be certain of one thing. He does the unexpected. Um, has anybody read the Chronicles of Narnia? Some people have. You've watched the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. All right, another. I'm going to sum up again. We're not going to read that. So, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, written by C.S. Lewis. Seven books. It's this beautiful analogy of Jesus loving people, creating worlds, and just being who he is. And in the first one, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we have four humans that are pulled into Narnia. They become kings and queens, but they have no clue what's going on. They don't know who Aslan is. They don't know what's happening in the world. And they meet a Mr. and Mrs. Beaver that are kind of telling them what's going on and bringing them to Aslan. So when they get uh, to the beaver's house and they're explaining things to him, and they're like, well, I don't understand what's going on. Mrs. Beaver's telling them, and she says, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Like he is, he's powerful, he's almighty. And Lucy says, then he isn't safe. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. 
So throughout all of these books, there's one phrase that pops up, and it's my second point. He is not a tame lion. He's not safe. We don't know what God's going to do. Safety is me hanging out with my family and not doing anything crazy, but we don't know what God's going to tell us. He's not a tame lion. In the stories, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he doesn't act like a normal lion. When he shows up, he tells them things, and they're like, that doesn't make sense. I don't even know what I'm going to do. But Jesus doesn't call us to be safe. But when he calls, it's good. So before we get back to our widow, um, I want to go back to the centurion just a little bit so we can kind of have a little more idea going forward what Jesus is doing. So the centurion had heard Jesus' power, or had heard of Jesus' power, and knew that by Jesus' voice he could heal his servant. And since he understood the tradition and ceremony of the Jewish people that Jesus coming into his house would make him unclean, he sent that second group of people to say, you don't need to come, just say it, and my servant will be healed. He understood that. Jesus can do great things in our tradition and our ceremony in the way we have always done things, but it's not always how he works. It's not the only way he works. We see in this passage that being ceremoniously unclean didn't matter to Jesus. He didn't care. He walked up and touched the buyer. He walked up and touched a dead man. So before he does that, he walks up, he says to the widow, do not weep. Then he touched the buyer. I'm sorry, I I did that backwards. And I want to stop and talk about that order. Sometimes Jesus tells us things that don't make sense. This widow we just talked about was fresh in her grief. She had just lost her only son, her only uh, way of provision and livelihood for the rest of her life. She was grieving, and Jesus comes up and says, don't. says, do not weep. Then he touched the buyer. He, after he gave her something to do, then he showed her why he was trustworthy. And I know that that had to be hard. Sometimes Jesus says stuff to us and it makes absolutely no sense. And sometimes we have to go on with that for a while before he shows us what he meant by it. Um, But we can know him in new ways whenever we hear what he says and we do it and then we see what he meant later. So I want to say that another way because it sounds kind of familiar. When we hear God's voice and do what he says... We know him in new ways. So touching a body would definitely have made somebody unclean. That's not safe. I don't think I can say I've ever touched a dead body, a human dead body. Jesus just walked up. He bebopped all the way from Capernaum to touch a body. So Jesus has compassion on this widow, and he takes back from death, excuse me, He took back what death had claimed for its own. Death had already taken this this son. Jesus touched the buyer. This story alone is such a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what he does for us. And we go all the way back to creation. When God created the world, he said it was what? Good. Everything God created was good. And then man chose sin. So in the garden, God created everything perfect. Man was there. We chose sin. And sin, uh, as we need to understand it, is not doing certain things or not doing certain things. It's not wrongdoing. Sin is our claim on our own life. Oswald Chambers said this actually yesterday in my utmost. 
that sin is not wrongdoing, but wrong being. It is deliberate and determined independence from God. Romans, if you guys remember, most of us are kind of old enough to remember the Roman road stuff. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Apart from sin, there would be no death, no pain, no loss, and no suffering. All of us are a part of this heredity of sin. All of us. Everyone born on earth. There were no children in the garden. I don't know if you guys knew that. Sin happened. And then every man born was in sin. None of us is exempt from the heredity of sin except Jesus. Jesus is the only person ever to be removed from that heredity. So Jesus stepped into our broken and sinful world. He put his hands on the buyer of humanity to know our pain and to know our brokenness. And as all of us lie dead in our sin, he says to us, arise. And how good is that? To know that no matter how broken and full of death our world is, no matter how broken and full of death our life is, that Jesus touches the buyer of that death and gives us life. Man, that's good. God just like brought that to me. In fact, I text Will. I was looking at all this and God brought that to me. I was like, man, this is getting fired up. I don't get fired up. Y'all know me. So I also want to point out too, when we talk about this guy being, the, the son being resurrected and how beautiful that is, what Jesus does to us. But Jesus didn't raise him because he was good. Didn't raise him because he was righteous. He didn't raise him because he was any more deserving of any other person that has ever walked the earth of having life. But Jesus raised him for his mother. Jesus calls us to life. He puts his hands on us and he calls us from death, not because we're good or not because we need something, but he does that so that we can be there for others. He calls us to love and to serve those around us. It says Jesus took him and gave him to his mother. She was lost. She didn't have anything. Jesus resurrected her son so that he could care for her. There are people in your life that need the love and the life that Jesus has put in you. I'm telling you guys right now, he wants you to bless them and to love them. He wants to do that through you. Because, point number three, Jesus is with us in our sorrow. There's an old hymn. Um, David's not here. He's probably the only one that would have known it. Um, but it's by Michael Bruce. Where, the high, where high the heavenly temple stands. And one of the verses says, In every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows had a part. God's not apathetic. He's not an apathetic God. He cares for us. He sees our pain. He feels our pain with us. And his hands are on us and we can trust that he's in control. It's like when he told the widow, do not weep. That's hard to trust. Colleen, you know, Craig says, hey, I think God says we're supposed to go see a movie. No. You know, that's, that's something that may seem kind of silly, but sometimes God says stuff that doesn't make sense in our mind. But when he says stuff, it's good. 
and we can trust it. Even when the circumstances of life are just far out of control, we can trust it. And I really would love to end the sermon right here and to wrap up to say, Jesus is good and he has authority over death and he loves us. And then we can all sing when we all get to heaven and let's go home. But I really think that God wants me to talk about something that's not mentioned here, but I can't help my mind from going there whenever I read stories of God doing something awesome or when I hear awesome stories of God doing something miraculous in someone's life. But what if he doesn't? What happens when he doesn't do that in our life? What if God chooses not to heal me or not to heal my loved one? What if I have to live with pain and heartache? And what if God lets me or my child suffer for days and weeks and months and years? What if I'm learning to hear God's voice and I'm learning to do what he says, like in this story, like that's part of what abiding is. It's what we say over and over. What if I'm learning those things and doing what he says and I obey something in my life that God told me to do and my life falls apart? I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have the answers for that. If I did, Will would be up here next week preaching about what I said, but I didn't write a book. And I don't think that these are questions that we can answer. Um, and I don't know that we ever will. I think Jesus even addresses this earlier in Luke's gospel. If you guys uh, would turn back or follow along, in Luke 4, 23 through 27, uh, this is the, uh, the story in Luke's gospel where Jesus goes back to Nazareth and he teaches in the temple and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah and he says, this, you know, this has been fulfilled in your hearing and everybody's like, isn't this Joseph's kid? Like, what's he doing? And Jesus says, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. I don't stop. Where was the servant girl healed? Capernaum. Jesus did stuff in Capernaum. Jesus, why aren't, you're doing stuff over there. Why aren't you doing it for me? So he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his own hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Jesus doesn't always take away our sorrow this, this side of heaven. Sometimes we have to live with it. So why does God choose to heal some, other, some and not others? Why do some suffer and some don't? I don't know. Guys, I can't tell you why you're lying awake at night praying for God to take something away or return some loss. All I can tell you is that Jesus touched the fire. Our world is broken because of sin. Sometimes someone's claim on their own life causes pain in their life or pain in someone else's and sometimes illness hits us not because we don't have enough faith and not because we didn't do the right things or because we have done some terrible thing but because our world is full of brokenness and death and sometimes we get hit with that we are not immune from it 
All of us are a part of the hereditary of sin. And I'll say this, for those of us who are not in the midst of suffering, or for those of you who have gone through suffering and come out on the other side, or have been through some terrible thing and have gotten through to live with it and are past it, God has called us to be his life to those who are suffering. Just like Jesus gave the risen son to his mother, he wants to give life and provision and what comfort that can be found here on earth through us to those that need it. He's with us in our sorrows and he wants us to be with others in theirs. So in closing, I want to say it's important that we know what God has done in the past, like our two groups of people. They knew what God had done, so God was able to speak to them in that. It's important that uh, we spend time with Jesus, hearing his voice and learning to obey. And it's important that we spend time with others, loving them and sharing the life that Jesus has put in us. Jesus wants to reveal himself through history, through his authority, and in our community. That's all I got. Um, if you guys have that, I have some life group questions there at the end for, um, for you guys. Hopefully you guys... Maybe if you have somebody who's suffering, you can spend some time praying for them, praying with them today, um, this week. Uh, there you go. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you so much that you are in control of life and death and we are not. God, thank you that your power and your understanding and your decisions are far beyond anything that we can imagine or comprehend. God, and we know that when you speak, you speak the truth, even if we don't understand. God, because there are things that we cannot understand and questions that we cannot answer. So God, thank you for this story. God, thank you for Luke, uh, who set out to share your truth with the world. God, thank you that he gave that to us in this story, this beautiful story that teaches your compassion and how you love us. God, be with us this week. God, help us to uh, love on those around us. In your name we pray. Amen.